Hey, it's Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. I hope this message challenges you. I hope that it inspires you. But more importantly, I hope that it helps you grow spiritually. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Redefined Church, you can always support us by going to liveredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. In previous services last month, we kind of talked through what the values of the first century church are. Those values are our values. They were um, honor, honesty, hospitality, and unity. And if, if, we, if we actually be those things right, um, it ends up tending to work out where we actually live out what it means to be the church, and the church is seven days a week. And so um, our mission today, we're talking real relationships. And so we exist to lead people to live in a real relationship with God first and each other second. It's Matthew 22. We talked about that last week. And as we talk about last week, let's just recap that. Last week, we kind of capped the honors, or the honor, the um, values of our church with honor. And if honor exists, everything else is as well. And so 1 Peter 2.17 was kind of our staple verse. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Uh, the International Standard Version calls the brotherhood a community, and the New English Translation calls the brotherhood a family of believers. And so we talked about different honor groups. We really played to the team sports side of it because inside of team sports, everybody kind of honors everybody. And so regardless of where you are or what position you play or what your status is, when you jump in and you become part of a group, great things happen and you're honored because you, you, you get what you give. And so um, we talked about being the group that actually raises the bar and becomes what real community means. And that means community is not just where we live, it's who we are. And so um, how we do that today is... Um, taking our step into what we're talking about today, which is real relationships. And we get to park on essentially how to have a real relationship with God. So last week, our action step was devote yourselves to honor. Uh, Romans 12, 9 and 10 was our, was our kind of our anchor. And it was don't just pretend to love others, be genuine, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And the outdo was not a competition. It, it was just consistency. Man, be consistent who you are. We talked about the two types of honor being horizontal, which is honoring each other. This is individually. And the second type of honor being vertical, which is us honoring God together, which is a mutual thing. And so the examples we had of those were 1 John 2, 2 through 5. Jesus is our example if we walk as he walked. And so it says, by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So then honor is reward of living in or with humility and faithfulness to God. That's Proverbs 22, 4, which is kind of how we locked it all up. The result of humility is fear of the Lord along with wealth, honor, and life. And if you remember, we defined what fear of God means, and that is essentially to have a deep sense of honor, respect, on submission to who God is or the deity of Christ. Honor is a reputation of respect. It'll, it, having honor means we all do our part. And so today, as we start and jump into... Um, how to live in a real relationship with God, I think it's crucial that we look at the beginning and we remember that God wanted a relationship with us first. And so you go all the way back to uh, Genesis 1.26. I don't have slides for this, but if you have your Bible or you're taking notes, it's kind of a, a, a good anchor. Okay, we have a, couple, we have a couple cornerstones today, if I'd call them that. Uh, Genesis 1, and we're gonna go 26 through 31. And just bear with me as I read these out so you can kind of get a grasp of, of what, what's being said. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock of all the earth and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his image. He created him 
in the image of God, and then he created, and he created them male and female. So God didn't want to be alone. He saw everything he made and said, wait a second. If I just, if we have what it is right now, then it's just me solo. And he's good enough to be that, but he said, I'm going to create man and woman, and I'm going to create them in my image. So that means it doesn't doesn't really matter what we look like. We all represent the image of Christ. You see Jesus in every face in the room right now. And so it goes on. It says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply. We all know that scripture very well. Fill the earth. Me and Heather are doing our part. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Verse 29, God also said, look, I've given you, this is huge. Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. Verse 30, for all the wildlife of the earth and every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having breath and life in it, I have given you everything. You have authority over all. Verse 31, God said or saw everything that he had made was good. Evening came, it was the sixth day, everything was complete. The plan in the garden was eternal life. God laid everything out for us. And it was eternal life in relationship with God. So God wanted relationship with us, but he wanted us to choose relationship with him. That's part of the reason the tree was in the garden. He said, hey, here's everything. You have everything you're ever going to need. It's heaven on earth. It is, it's Matthew 6, it's the Lord's Prayer. They had everything laid out right before them. But Adam and Eve still had to make the choice. Am I going to follow? Am I going to trust and obey and walk in that relationship with God? Or, man, that tree is awfully interesting. Why would he say? And that's human nature, right? That's us being just a little bit inquisitive to say, hmm, there's something about that tree that I don't know. And so then we should probably take a look, right? And you guys know how that goes. It led to the fall. The fall is the fall is the fall. And so if not Adam and Eve, it would have been me. If not me, it would have been somebody else. The fall was going to happen regardless because human nature says we always want what we can't have, right? And so God knew there was going to be a fall. And I just want to show you a couple verses that kind of solidify this. And uh, in the Bible, there are 28 different times God says this. I'm just going to choose one of David's and a few Proverbs just to kind of let you see. And so in Psalms 118.8, it says, it's better to trust the Lord than to depend on people. Can I get an amen? Amen, right? <laughs> Proverbs 28.26 says, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. And we all know that walking in wisdom is walking with God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Even if it seems crooked to you, he's going to prepare your way. And so God had a plan B. Anybody ever have to use plan B? Come on. Sometimes I didn't even know plan B was coming. It just kind of punched me in the face. And so the plan B we find in John three sixteen. we take communion this morning. We sing the simple gospel. We sing the doxology. We, we sing these things out to God. We all know what John three sixteen says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should perish will have eternal life. And so there's plan B again. Eternal life was the plan in the garden. And we get Jesus. Jesus is plan B. It's the new covenant. It's what we talked about in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four this morning. This is my blood. Take this cup. Do it in remembrance of me. This is how we stay in relationship. And so that's why we'll do that once a month. 
And so the knowing that John 3.16 is kind of the keys to eternal life, we're going to fast forward to John 14, and we're going to pick this thing apart quite a bit. In John 14, you need to know this is a continuation of Christ's discourse with the disciples after the Last Supper. And so I find it so unique in the Bible where we just, sometimes we switch gears and we start a new chapter, but it's just a continuation of the old chapter. And so we're going to kind of go back and forth between uh, John uh, John 13 and John 14, and hopefully I do a decent job connecting these because this was this is this was heavy on my heart. As a matter of fact, um, this is I feel the best about this message, but this one took the longest. And there's there's a lot more depth here, and so hopefully I don't talk too fast, <laughs> and you get everything. And if I am, and if you need something again, if I drop the ball or I'm going too fast, you just say, hey, what was that? And I'm gonna and I'm gonna be there because that's my job, right? And so we go to John 14, and you can be in John 14, 1, but as you get to John 14, 1, what I want you to see in John 13 is we receive the new commandment. The new commandment is found in 31, 32, 34, and 35. We'll come back and visit 33 in a bit, but what you see in, in John 13, 31, 32, 34, and 35 is this. When, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If... God is glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. 33 talks about going away. 34, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. Again, locks it in. 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, people will know, hey, he follows Jesus. She follows Jesus. That's a disciple. And so that, that kind of block of scripture right there, 13, 31 through 35, leads us to hearing John three sixteen explained to the disciples by Jesus because John 14 is told us the way. This is called the way. And so verse one says this, says, you must, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. Like, hey, come on, hey, look at me. And they're not, they're not fully grasping who Jesus is this time. They just know this guy's the real deal. I've seen him do some miraculous things. There's something about him. Some say he's this. Some say he's that. I'm not sure. And these are people who followed closely, right? And so what Jesus is referencing in John 14.1 is really found in John 13.22. And so if you're going to make a note there, Jesus could see that they were troubled. He sees concern. He senses anxiety. And so what he is saying is, this is huge. This is John 14, 1 explained from 13, 22. He says this, keep possession of your own souls when you can. If you can keep possession of nothing else, keep possession of your soul, of your heart. Keep your heart in check. The heart is the main fort. This is where everything lives, right? Whatever you do, keep trouble from your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. That's what he's saying in verse 14.1. He goes on to 2, verse 14.2. It says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I don't want to jump too far off because this is the deal. This is the scripture that me and Heather stood on in finding a place here. Some might say we took it a little bit out of context, but that was the thing. God's preparing a house for us there. If God's really calling us to go there, he's preparing a house for us. I'll tell you that story in a a future time. What he's saying is 
And two is, it's his departure. He's talking about his departure. And you can find that in, 30, in John 13, 33, which I skipped over, which essentially, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you anymore. Okay? Verse three, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you will also be. So where I am, you may, also, you may be also. And so then John 13, 36 kind of describes John 14, 1 and 2. You guys tracking with me? And so what he says is you can't follow me, but you can come after me. You can't follow me, but you, you can or you will come after me. And so then we look at my father's house, many dwellings, I'll prepare a place for you. What is that? And this is a Matthew Henry commentary right here. It says, heaven is a house, not a tent or a tabernacle. It's not made with hands. We can't seem to get over that though because we're humans and we can make anything and we can make it faster than anybody, right? And so it's our father's house and all believers are welcome there to the happiness that's in that home. And so then if you don't have happiness in your home, at least you might have peace. But what, what he's saying is, is when you are in heaven, you experience happiness, peace. It's the best thing to say, like, whenever you have to travel for me anyways, when I travel, um, I could be in the best hotel or I could be staying with my best friends. But no matter what, I miss home. There's this, there's this yearning, and it's to be with Heather and our kids, but it's also my bed and my pillow. Like, there's nothing like your bed. So he's saying there's happiness in this home. In this house, it is his house who is king of kings, lord of lords. He dwells in light and inhabits eternity. There are mansions there that first you think, okay, mansions. And then so we always picture our kind of man-made image, but these are just distinct dwellings. The house itself is lasting. Our estate in it is not for a term, but it is forever. It's eternity but we have a hard time grasping that too. On earth, we're, we live in an inn. We're just essentially staying or borrowing, even though we're paying a mortgage, which is just ridiculous, okay? In heaven, we gain a settlement. Here, we're staying in an inn. In heaven, we gain property. We gain a settlement. And so the disciples left their houses. If we remember this, the disciples left their houses to follow Christ. Jesus didn't own anything while he was here. He borrowed his tomb, Right? And so he did all that, didn't own a thing, but now he lives where there are many mansions. And so by the mansion heavens, it kind of makes amends for him borrowing everything here on earth. There are many mansions for there are many sons to be brought to glory and Christ knows exactly their number. That's huge. We'll visit that here in a minute. He told Peter that he should follow him, but let not the rest of the disciples be discouraged in heaven for there are mansions for them there too. Okay. And that's all in 14, two and three. It's talking about eternity, right? John 14, four says, you know, the way to where I'm going. And in verse five, Thomas says this, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Finally, we got some dude who's got some guts to say, I have no clue what you're talking about. Okay, Thomas admits his ignorance. He's like, listen, you say that I already know, but I have no clue. And the disciples were trying to understand where Jesus was going and figure out how to get there because they'd been with him. And he's talking about leaving, but they don't know where he's going. Like everywhere he's left before, we found him, right? 
And so he's, he's talking this time about leaving, but it's not that they don't believe him because he's not lied to them, but they're unsure, okay? Verse six, Jesus told him, this is, this is, the, this is the, the home run here. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So then, Christ is the way. He's the highway to or relationship with God. This highway is also referenced in Isaiah 35, 8. Isaiah 35, 8, which is Old Testament, it says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they will not pass. Even if they are fools, they will not pass. That's Isaiah 35, 8. And that is the kind of cross-reference to Isaiah, or I'm sorry, 1 John, John uh, 4, jeez, uh, we got so many verses, 14, 6, John 14, 6. And so Christ was on his way, for by his own blood, he entered into the holy place. This is Hebrews 9, 12. He entered into the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And this is our way, right? For we enter by him, by his doctrine and example, He teaches us our duty by his merit and intercession. He procures our happiness. And so he is the way. In him, God and man meet. In him, God and man come together. In him, we're brought together. By Christ as the way between heaven and earth, the angels of God ascend and descend. Our prayers go to God and his blessings come to us by him. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. We only get to the Father through the Son. The only way through God or through to God is through me. So then, we good? We started late, so I'm trying to crunch, but I don't want to rush because this is super important. He is the truth, the doctrine of Christ. It is true doctrine. When we inquire for truth, we need to learn no more than the truth that's in Jesus. And so that is that's probably one of our biggest downfalls as man is we have to know more and know more and know more and know more. And the more we know, right? It's more head knowledge. And the more we think we have it figured out, really it causes separation. It makes it hard. As truth is a, uh, uh, yeah, we need to learn no more than the truth that's in Jesus. This is Matthew Henry commentary again. Uh, As truth is opposed to fallacy and deceit, he is the truth. He is true to all that trust in him as true as truth itself, period. He is the life for we are alive unto God only in and through Jesus. If not Jesus, the Bible says we're dead in our sin. Trapped. Hell. Right? He is alive, for we are alive unto God only in through in and through Christ Jesus. Romans 6.11 says we're alive in Christ. It's the paraphrased version, but that's it. Christ formed in us that to our souls, which our souls are to our bodies... Christ is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, meaning he is the beginning, and he is the middle, and he is the end. If he is the A and the Z, then he's L-M-N-O-P. Does that make sense? And so he cannot be the start and the finish and have nothing to do with you in between or have nothing to do with us in between. So then what we know is in him we must set out and go and finish. Most people, Christians, believers, I don't know what you want to call us people, 
most people would, would say that salvation is the finish line. Well, once I pray that prayer, step across this tape line, I'm in. I don't have to do anything else. And really, salvation is the starting line. When I start believing Jesus, that means, okay, he's called me to something great. And we're going to get to that in, in verse 14. So, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Fallen man must come to God as a judge, but cannot come to him as a father unless Christ is the mediator, unless Jesus is in between. And so I'll say that again. No man cometh to the Father but by me, by Jesus. Fallen man, okay? That's all of us. There's nobody here not fallen, okay? Fallen man must come to God as a judge, but cannot come to him as a father, as he is their father, unless through me, Jesus, as the mediator. We cannot perform the duty of coming to God by repentance and the acts of worship without the Spirit and the grace of Christ. That's why it says, for everybody's fell short of God's glory, okay? It's a high standard. Thank you, Lord, it's a high standard. I love it. But that doesn't mean I didn't drop the ball and I'm not gonna drop the ball again, right? And so by that grace, we're covered, healed, holy, righteous communion this morning. Jesus reveals the Father in verse seven. It says, if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. What you need to see is they knew Jesus, but they didn't know him as well as they thought they did. Right? And you'll see it in verse 8. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's good enough for us. And he says, bro, <laughs> I've been here with you the whole time, right? Jesus said to him, I've been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? They knew Jesus, but they didn't know him like they thought they knew him. They didn't know him well enough. That's us. Cross the line, right? Saved. Good. Heaven. Check. Right? But it's our responsibility as followers to grow in that relationship with him. And this is not going to finish today, so we will continue next week, which is going to be really good. And so we just read verse 9. says, show us the Father. Verse 10 says this, Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me, I am the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So if you, if you don't believe that, just believe because you've seen everything that I've done. Which is why we pray in Jesus' name. Verse 12, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. This is the verse that sent me and Heather here. I was managing a great church. We had 1,300 people. We had 300 volunteers. We had 42 small groups. Um, we had eight staff members. It was healthy. And I was living in mediocrity because my pastor who'd been helping me was ready to lead. And so we step into this battle of, um, is this where we're supposed to be? Are we done here? By the way, I was, our church had a great private school. I coached there, and I, not anymore because I was pastoring, but I had coached there. And so we just had an awesome, we had an awesome life ahead of us. Or we could have just said, yeah, I can just manage this all day long. I'm getting paid really well. Okay, we're loving people. We've taken a church and grown it from, you know, the low hundreds to 1,300 people. It's awesome. But 
Verse 12 says, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do, but he will do even greater works than these. And that means I was across the line as a pastor and I was growing in my personal relationship, but it was, is, am I doing, the question was, are we doing everything we can for the cause of Christ? If the church is the greatest thing on the face of the earth, this is the bride of Christ. This is the most important thing to God. If that's the case, am I doing, are we doing everything we can to see heaven come on earth, to do our part? And the answer in an amazing church, I love, I love my church. The answer in an amazing church, in an amazing position, with an amazing school, was no. And so then the short version is, me and Heather looked at going to the south because we're connected to a lot of churches down there. And there are a lot of people there that we have a relationship with. And you can walk into the south pretty much anywhere and rally several hundred people to come to church. It's just easy there. And that's where we could be successful. But we were wrong in that. And so there was no peace in, in all the places we looked. And so we came here and there was peace in being here, although there was a bunch of uncertainty and we didn't have a clue, okay? Uh, we didn't know really our butt from our elbow when it came to being here. That's why it took us 12 years or two years just to like, just to gather, right? And so then in all that it is this, it is community church. It's not about me or her. It's not about our name or who we are. It's about Jesus. It's about the son that God sent for us, right? And so then if you believe Jesus, then you believe, verse 12, that he has, he has a mission for you. There's a purpose for you. And you stepped into that purpose when you accepted Jesus or when you established relationship, however that conversion happened. Here's what you need to know as Christians, though. Your job as a believer is not conversion. It's not for you to go, and we talked about this a little bit. It's not for me to go and take my Bible and go, brother, do you know that if you don't accept Jesus, that you're going to turn up, you're going you're gonna to burn in hell. It is, it is, get right or, or get, get right or get left, right? Get right with God or get left behind. It is turn or burn. If we do that, it doesn't work. Our only job is to have a conversation. It's to step in. It's what, it's what greeting at church is. It's what helping the checkers at Kroger is. It's what putting a shopping cart back is. It's essentially just being an example. And if you're willing to talk to somebody and say, hey man, how are you? That plants a seed. This is, hmm, they're different. They're different. And at some point, they're going to ask you. You don't have to tell them. They'll ask you. And so verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. This is the anchor of our relationship with God. It's John 14, 6. It's John 14, 6. And if you look at that one last time, it says this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the one thing that stands in the relationship with God in an actual real relationship where you have some confidence in it. And it's what we talked about last week. It's 1 Peter 2.17. Fear. I'm afraid. And we talked a little bit about it last week and I want to wrap that up. It's this. Honor everyone. Fear God, right? Fear God. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Fear God to have a deep sense. Okay. So this is the rewritten version of, of what the fear of God means. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, have a deep sense of honor, respect, and awe and submission to God and honor the king. If we do that, God says he takes care of everything else for us. That was Matthew 22. Uh, it's too many in my head right now, 
But essentially, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law hinges on these two things. So how do I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? We talked last week about what fear does. It, it convinces you that you're being judged, okay? So you think that you're going, you know, to where it's hot. Or you take that judgment and think that God's going to use all of his power to, to strike you down. And I just want to remind you that the God who gave you life would not take your life, and he would not make you climb uphill. He's not going to make you climb uphill to reach any certain standard or echelon. There's not a level. It is today, everybody in this room, because we took communion together, we're all seen as equals, me and you, right? And so the root of our fear is lack of relationship. It's the disconnection, right? Failing to honor, respect, submit, or to be thankful for who he is is what brings us to that place. So then to live in a real relationship, we go back to Adam and Eve and we look at how they lived. It was all good until the curiosity and the serpent. But what about that tree, right? And just as God chose us, it's up to us to choose him. And choosing him is this. This is what we teach our kids. Obedience is love plus trust plus action. That's biblical obedience. You'll find it throughout the Bible. And so then here's what's cool. I can tell all of you that I love you. And I would venture to say, I love everybody in this room. That's good. I only trust one person in this room right now, guys. Her. I want to trust all of you. But that's how it is with God. Love the Lord. Man, he's so good. Glory. So good. Do I trust God? Mmm. It's the difference between, it's really the cross. It's the difference between I believe in God and I believe God. And are you willing to let this do something in your life? Are you willing to trust God enough to say, that's real? That's real. And so then, we can tell our kids, do you love me? Yes. Do you trust me? Yes. Where is it at in your feet? Where is it at in your actions? Because you're saying that, and I'm leading the way that it's supposed to be, but your actions tell me different. Your actions tell me that you don't trust me or that you don't love me. And so then, biblical obedience is love plus trust plus action. It's the same thing we wanted to see in the garden. It's the same thing God wants from us in our relationship. You won't or can't trust anybody you're afraid of on earth or in heaven. If you're afraid, you're afraid. So most of the time when we don't like that person, what do we do? We distance ourselves, okay? We limit interactions, okay? And essentially avoid them at all costs, okay? There's something about that guy. There's something about that girl that I just don't like. Sketchy. Like, are, are they packing? Like, I don't know. They have a rope in their back pocket. You know, who knows, right? And so then if you're afraid of anybody, it eliminates your relationship. We have got to a place with God where we can't see him, sense him, know him, but we should honor him. Because forced honor isn't genuine. And that's what we've been told our whole lives. Fear God, honor the king, fear, honor, fear, honor, fear, honor. Now, by God, you're going to church with me and you're going to come and it's going to be good. And we ride the coattails of everybody else's faith, but we've never had our own. It's not about that. Forced honor is not honor at all. It's not genuine. Just like Adam and Eve weren't forced to honor God in the garden, right? I tried to find this video for you guys. It's a, it's a video of the governor of Arizona, and he just can't get done what he's trying to get done. And so he's, it's, this is a big meeting, 
And he stands up from his chair. They're, in, they're at like council meeting almost. Just picture that. He's, he's in here and we're going back and forth. There's pretty good um, candid conversation happening. And all of a sudden this dude stands up, just fire red and says, do you know who I am? And at that point, nobody's going to follow that guy because nobody's following anybody who has to lead that way. If, if you were to follow the mission of Redefined Church because of who I am, we would fail, right? We're here to follow Jesus, to trust God. You won't follow anybody who does that, and God's not doing that this morning or ever. He's never said, do you, do you know who I am? He's not that guy. Nobody loves to follow that guy. <laughs> We find a great picture of what the fear of God is in the book of Malachi, and I'm, cl- I'm going to close with this. Thank you guys for your patience this morning. Malachi 3, we see a promise of the coming of the Messiah, both the comfort which he's coming brings the church and people hope. But then you also have the non-believers who feel terror, right? And so verse 3, 16 and 18, and I'm going to read these just so you have them. If you're taking notes, just write them down. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. You can't fear and esteem, right? It's just a word. And and I didn't go into the Greek or any of those to get you. You know what the fear of God means right now. And so we call this book, the book of remembrance. It's the book of life. It's referenced in Daniel 7.10. This is where the names of all who call Jesus their savior are kept, okay? Verse 17 says, they shall be mine, says the Lord in the day. When I wake up, when I make up, when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as man spares his own son and serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. God wants your heart. Just like you said in verse 14:1, guard your heart. Your heart is the root of everything. God wants your heart. In your heart is the start of that relationship. And so the action step today is very simple. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Through Jesus, this is a recap of John 14. Through Jesus, we are brought into a covenant with God. The same blood covenant. And and we become part of his promise by believing in Jesus as the mediator between God and man. Our belief in God becomes comfortable. This is the will of God, that all men should honor the Son, honor, as they honor the Father, and believe in the Son, as they believe in the Father. Those that rightly believe in God will believe in Jesus, whom he has made known to them, and believing in God through Jesus is the way to establish relationship with God and keep trouble and fear From your heart. Jesus Christ is the way to establish relationship with God and keep trouble and fear from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that I get to be a part of this, that you would use me to bring what you would have to say to people, to help them to see your heart why you sent your son, and how we can establish a relationship with you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, this morning that um, 
Regardless of how we came in, you see us and you know us. Thank you for breath this morning and for purpose. But for everyone here who follows you, I say thank you. Thank you. For those who are struggling to follow you, Lord, I ask you to help me help them. I ask you to give them a boldness and a confidence to reach out to people they know who know you and trust you, the people they have trust with, the relationship with. And for people who do not know you in this room, Lord, I just ask you to help them find this place, a place where they can come and hear and be affirmed in who you are so they can come to know you. I thank you for the message today. I ask you, Lord, that you would place this in our hearts, help us to reference it and to use it every single day and to know that you've called us to be great. It's John 14, 12, Lord. You've done great things, but you've called us to do greater. And you've put us in an amazing community to do that. So I just ask you for favor, grace, discernment, and strength as we move forward this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that it challenged you and that you'll take steps this week to have a greater faith and to go deeper in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about what's happening here at Redefine Church, you can visit us online at liveredefine.com. Follow us on social media at Redefine Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.